Uh, this morning we are going to uh, take a little break from the Gospel of John, uh, especially because this is just a, uh, a special day that we're celebrating. Uh, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, so why don't you uh, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to be going through uh, verses 40 through 50 and looking at the Passover. Um, but before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, as has been said so many times, we thank you for this church and all that it means to each and every one of us. I'm sure, Lord, if we were to all come up and speak at different times, we can describe what this church means to us. And we thank you for that. We ask, Lord God, that you would continue to sustain us and keep us until the day that you return, Lord God. And we ask that you would speak to us in a powerful way this morning as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we look at the Passover, I thought it would be appropriate, and the reason why I chose this was because obviously we're having a celebration today. And, and as I was preparing this week and I was thinking about, well, why do we celebrate anniversaries and, and birthdays and special days? My dad used to joke with me, and he still does, and he, when we would say happy birthday to him, or he would he'd always say, it's just another day. Just another day. But <laughs> I tried that on my wife, but that doesn't work with my wife. So, But it's, a, it's special. Uh, it is just another day, but it's another day that the Lord has made. It's another day that the Lord has gave us. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, what are all the things that we celebrate in the United States and, and what for? And uh, I got on a website this morning. Uh, according to Hallmark, what are the top five Holidays that get well, they go by cards that are given. Uh, the top five holidays in cards. Uh, the first one was Valentine. I see Halloween at number five. Halloween. Has anybody ever gave a Halloween card? I have not. Yeah, and I've never received one either. So, if you want to give me one, that's great. Uh, number four uh, was Father's Day. Father's Day coming in at number four. Uh, number three would be Mother's Day, ahead uh, of the fathers by, like Father's Day, they say 93 million cards were given, and Mother's Day, 141 million. And then number two, anybody have a guess? Starts with a V. <laughs> Valentine's Day, right. And then the number one holiday that we celebrate in the United States, according to Hallmark, through gift, through cards, would be Christmas, right, at 1.6 billion cards given at Christmas time. A lot of cards there. And again, it's a time where we, you know, you think about holidays, anniversaries, birthdays, special events that we celebrate. It's because they signify something or they mean something. They cause us to, to, to look back at something and reflect upon it and, and uh, honor it in some special way. And same is true in the Bible. The feasts and festivals that ancient Israel celebrated were for those reasons. And I'm going to point out uh, four specific reasons this morning on why Israel or how Israel celebrated feasts and festivals. And also show how we today are celebrating our anniversary for the same reasons. Hold on. Looks like we have a little Internet connection problem here so those four reasons are are this if we could pull those up the first one would be 
I gotta pull it up on my phone. We're having seriously technical issues. Is it up? My iPad's still thinking. That's why I have. So the number one reason why, uh, or the Israel, or how they celebrated feasts and festivals was communal. It was celebrated by all those who were part of the covenant. So that's the first way. The second way is it was commemorative, as I was saying. It was to be celebrated yearly to remind the people of God's great works in the past. That's the way Israel celebrated all their feasts and festivals. If we were to go through all of them, you could see the, how they celebrated in these ways. The, for, the fourth reason or the significance was it was theological, meaning that the feast or celebration was celebrated to teach the people about God. And fourthly, it was typological or typological. The event symbolized a greater fulfillment in the future. So with these four things, I want to apply these to the feast of Passover. And that's why we're going to go to our that's we're going to go to our text this morning in Exodus chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 40. So keep those in mind and we'll talk about them specifically communal, commemorative, theological. And is it typological or I think it's typological. Am I pronouncing that right? Or typological type. I knew if I said it wrong, somebody would shout it out. So pastor doesn't embarrass himself. Thank you. All right. So let's look at the text this morning. We're going to read through Exodus uh, 12 verses 40 through 50 and then come back and I'll point these things out. And then we'll find application as how we celebrate today with Renaissance Church. So this is the Passover. This is the time where the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, were held captive in Egypt. And God has del- or is about to deliver them. So this is like on the eve of their deliverance. So God is explaining to them what he's going to do, why he's going to do it, and how they will remember this in the future. And he says this. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came about at the end of 430 years. To the very day that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is at night. It is a night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed for all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it, but every man slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to bring any bone of it. All of the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. And let them come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as it is to the stranger who sojourns among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And it came about on that same day that the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. So now let's go back to our text again. And so let's point these things out, like I said in the beginning, the Passover, 
Number one was communal. So let's look at how God says this feast or festival is to be celebrated in a communal way. If you go back to verse uh, 42, look at what he says again. He said, this night is to be observed by who? All the sons of Israel throughout all generations. So everybody in the nation of Israel who's part of this covenant with God, and that covenant was symbolized through circumcision, and that's why it says you had to be circumcised in order to be part of the covenant. And so those people were celebrating this. And it was only those people. If you notice in some of the other verses, there was a, a clause for exclusion. It's those who were not part of the covenant. Those who did not take that sign of circumcision. They were foreigners or sojourners or hired servants. Now, they didn't have to be excluded from the covenant. They could have been included, but they had to be circumcised. And those that weren't were not considered part of the congregation. Therefore, they were excluded from taking part of the feasts and festivals. And again, this is just one example in Passover. If you were to go through the Old Testament, look at all the feasts and festivals that the nation of Israel celebrated, these things would be true. And they were communal. God wanted all his people to celebrate. Secondly, they were commemorative. If you look at verse 42 again, commemorative means it was to be observed and celebrated in every generation. So God wanted them to remember this. And it was every year at this specific time as well. If you go to chapter 13, look at the next chapter for a second. Go to verse uh, 10 of chapter 13 and look at what God says uh, to Moses. He says, therefore, you shall keep this ordinance. He's talking about this festival at its appointed time from year to year. So kind of like a birthday or anniversary. This festival that God implemented with the nation of Israel was to be commemorative, observed throughout their generations. And it was to be celebrated every year, every year. God wanted them to do this. And the reason why was a theological reason. If you uh, look at, stay in chapter 13 and look specifically at verse 3. So Passover was theological because it taught them that they were once enslaved and captive until God freed them. They were in slavery. And they're supposed to remember that in their slavery they could only be freed by God. Look at uh, 13 verse 3. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out from this place and nothing leaven shall be eaten. So not only did they learn that they were held captive and they were freed by God, they also learned about the power of God to keep and execute his word. The nation of Israel was constantly having to deal with this. And look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13. Look at what God says to Moses. He says, And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So in future generations, you ever, you ever had this where your kids ask you or somebody's asked, Hey, why do we celebrate this? Like, why do we celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day or all these other things or Columbus Day? You know, what's the significance of that? Um, here in, in the book of Exodus, God is telling Moses, hey, when your sons ask you why we celebrate this thing, why are we going through these elaborate ceremonies and celebrating this every year? He reminds them this again in verse eight. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt and it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your foreheads 
that the law of the Lord may be with may be in your mouth and for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. They needed to be reminded in the future of what God has done for them, that God keeps his word, God keeps his promises, and God's word is powerful and sure. If God says it, it is going to happen. In that same chapter of Exodus 13, look at verse 14. Similar statement here. And it shall be when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to them, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So again, not only were these festivals and feasts kept to be a a communal celebration, uh, commemorative, but they were supposed to teach you as well. There's a purpose for them. And lastly, they're typological. So these feasts in the Old Testament, we live now in, in this new dispensation or this new, the, the latter times as we've been studying, this new covenant, all these things that were done in the Old Testament were types and shadows for things to come. They were typological. God was going to fulfill these things in a much greater way. And we see that as we've been going through the Gospel of John and this greater fulfillment because Jesus has come. And that greater fulfillment, now these people didn't understand it at the time, is that God will deliver them from their enslavement and captivity to sin. Just like he did physically freed them. If you remember in John chapter 1, verse 29, remember when we started the Gospel of John way back when, one of the first things that John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming, and this is a, the fulfillment of Passover, or a greater fulfillment. In John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus had come to be baptized, it says this, The next day when he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now think of the feast that we're looking at in Exodus. It's a Passover. You remember that they were to kill the lamb and spread the blood of the lamb over the doorposts And the angel of God would pass over them and save them and not allow their firstborn to be dead. Here is a greater fulfillment in the New Testament that was typological of the Old Testament feast where Jesus now is called the Lamb of God. And Jesus expounded on this point in the Gospel of Luke. Turn there with me, chapter 4, looking at verses 16 through 21. Jesus pretty much says, I'm the fulfillment of this in Luke uh, chapter 4. He says this. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, this is speaking of Jesus, he entered the synagogue and on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Here's that greater fulfillment. Now, they're not captives in slavery like they were in ancient Egypt. But what are people enslaved to now? Sin. This is what Jesus was talking about. So he was sent. He was sent. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. To recover and recover the sight to the blind to free those who are downtrodden and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes 
of all, of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had come to be that ultimate fulfillment, that greater fulfillment of the Passover lamb to deliver men and women from, from something more greater or greater than a slavery and bondage. But to this, it was to the slavery and bondage to sin. Jesus had come to do that. And God will deliver his people by atoning for their sin. Let's look at this one last verse in Romans chapter 5. I think it's a great verse where uh, the Apostle Paul describes this, what exactly Jesus came to do for his people. In Romans 5, look at verses 8 through 11. It says this. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. Now, Paul is speaking to the church here. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So here again is that picture of the blood covering men's sin, delivering them from God's wrath, like here at the Passover, which we are looking at in Exodus. Paul is applying that to Jesus Christ. And look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Christ Jesus, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So for those who are part of this new covenant, this is true of you. This is true of me. God, because of Jesus Christ's blood being applied to our lives, he covers our sin, he reconciles us to God, and we are delivered from the wrath of God. For those who are not in the covenant, the opposite is true. You are still in your sins. And you, unless you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe on him, you will suffer the wrath of God. If you go back to the book of Exodus, that's exactly what happened. Those people that did not put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, what happened? When the angel of death came, their firstborn were killed. And that's what happened in all of Egypt. And that was the symbol or the, uh, the, the, t- the typological point of the Passover feast that, hey, a greater fulfillment is coming in Jesus Christ. This is just a sign alluding to that, and we are living in it. So with all that said now, how does that apply to the 14th anniversary celebration of Renaissance Church? You may be thinking, um, is there blood somewhere we need to post, you know, put over us? How does this work? Let's, how are you going to make this connection? Well, again, I think in celebrating something that God has given us, those four things still apply. Communal, commemorative, theological, and, and typological. We can apply those to our, to our church life, uh, in all of church life. And let me show you how we can do that here. Because Renaissance Church, if we think about it, we're celebrating that it was established and that it has continued. And every week that we meet, all these things apply to us. Think about this. Number one, it's communal. Renaissance Church and churches in general are to be communal. We rejoice with the community of who of the new covenant believers. If you're in Christ and you come to church, we're celebrating together. We're called to do that. 
Right? I think it's in the book of Hebrews where it says, don't let us forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. If you're a new covenant believer, you should desire to come to church so that you can celebrate together with your brothers and sisters in this, the love of God that he has for you. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of celebrating what God has done. And it's to be done communally. Right? All of us who partake in this reconciliation of God should desire to come to church to worship him. And we do it in a commemorative way. We gather, how often? We gather every week to celebrate what God has done. Now we celebrate every year the establishment of the church, and that's why we do it. Because as John had mentioned, without this church, we would have to find shelter, so to speak, in the, in the tree of the kingdom of God in another church. Now we would have done that, but we're celebrating that this is the place where God has put us. And God has established this church for that reason. But it's commemorative. We gather together every week to celebrate what God has done. We sing songs about what God has done. We look at the scriptures and learn about what God has done. Right? We gather, le- we gather weekly to learn about the great God of ours. And I hope you do that as you come to church, you come to learn about God. Right? And what he's done for you. And we come back week and week, each week to com- commemorate the work of God. And it's theological when we come here, I hope for you, that we gather to study God's word and learn about him. Church was established so that the believers could grow in Christ, right? Once you're saved, you begin to come to church. You don't think, okay, I'm saved. I don't need to go to church again. Then you have an incorrect understanding of the Christian life. We come here to gather together with the saints to worship God and to learn about God more and more. So we gather weekly again to learn about this great God of ours. And if you're part of this church, I hope you know and realize that that each Bible study we have, we gather to learn about God. We seek God. That's one of our our mission statements is seeking God. And meaning that means we seek to grow in Christ. So from women's studies, men's studies, youth studies, young adult studies, all retreats and all the things that we do, especially on Sunday morning, we get into the word of God. And we look at what God says to his church, how we are to glorify him, how we too are, are to live for him, how we are relating to him. It's all in scripture. So if, if you're not having that as a daily part of your life, you're missing out on what it is to be a believer. So we celebrate the 14th anniversary of our church again, communally in a commemorative way, uh, theologically. We're glad that we can do that. And lastly, This is a typological. Our gathering is a microchasm of our eternal gathering. You see, I believe what we're doing here is something that we're going to do forever in eternity. That means one day right now we are we are, you know, we're in the presence of God. But one day you and me will actually stand before God and see him face to face. That's for me is just unreal, unimaginable, you know, because we have all these images of what God looks like or what Jesus looks like. And I'm sure he looks nothing like the photo, not photos, the pictures and paintings that are of him. But just think of that one day you by yourself will stand before God in his presence like we like we do now as a church. Right. 
And we together one day will all stand before God. We will be with him. And we will get to worship him face to face. Right now we worship right and, and we don't see him. But one day you will actually be before God and you can bow down and worship him. And we'll be doing that in heaven. And we will get to know him in a fuller way. Right now we read the scriptures and study and try to learn about him. Get to know him more and more. But one day when we stand before God, we're going to know him in a greater and a much fuller way. Let's look at this last verse as we close service this morning. Turn to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 22. I think this pretty much shows, or it's a picture of what we will be doing in heaven. And there's no harps or clouds in this picture, so you won't be doing that. Look what the Apostle uh, John wrote. He says, and he showed me a river of, of, of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tr- the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And look at this. And his bond servants, that's you and me as believers, shall serve him. Again, in church, we serve God, right? In certain ways within the church. Here, in a much fuller way, and I don't know exactly how that's going to be, we are going to serve him. Look at verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. One day, imagine that, seeing God face to face. As believers, that should excite us. We finally get to see this God that we talk about, that saved us, that gave us all things, that sustains us. Now, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't believe, that might be a little scary. But guess what? You, too, will stand before God. And without the blood of reconciliation that saves you from the wrath of God, you will experience the wrath of God. And I pray that does give you some angst and scare you a little bit. Let's read on verse five. And there shall no longer be any nights. My son, Jonathan, will like that because he hates going to bed. And there shall no longer be any night. And shall, and shall and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's us. We're going to reign in some sense forever and ever with the Lord. And he said to me, this is my favorite part, these words are faithful and true. It's not a story. It's not a made-up thing. The angel's telling the apostle John, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Again, our gathering as a church is typological of what's going to happen in a much fuller way. We're going to serve him like we serve him in the church. We're going to worship him like we worship him in the church. We're going to be in his presence like we are in this church. One day, 
it's going to be even it's going to be I, I don't think realer is a, is a word but it's going to be I don't know maybe it is it's going to be real beyond real and i hope you look forward to that i hope as you come to church you're anticipating that one day you get to do all these things in the presence of god in a in a fuller way so again we celebrate the anniversary of our church communally we come together today every year to celebrate this, and, and we're thankful because we get to meet every week and do it. And we commemorate all this. Like I said, we do it every week. Theologically, we gather so that we can learn about this God, more and more about him. And finally, it's typological as we look forward to that one day where we will meet him and worship him and serve him forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for the establishment of this church and all the people that you've used along the way. As we saw over these past 14 years, you've brought different families at different times. And Lord, you've taken families away at different times. But nevertheless, you've continued to sustain us and to keep us. And your face has continued to shine upon us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of this church for as long as you would have us here. May we continue to to seek to glorify you as a church body and as individual believers. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to grow us in love and knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bring new families so that they too can experience the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with us and learn to love this church as we do. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this day and all that you have taught us. And may we leave this place desiring to know you more, desiring to serve you more, desiring to worship you more, and looking forward to that day when we will do it face to face. And we pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last. Amen.